where we last left off during the break, Cat Holly was trapped in Dream Somnio, witnessing herself and also Euphony in a hole. And then the other Euphony showed up and broke shit. So let's find out what that's about. Cat, how do you feel in this moment presently being trapped? I mean, like, not great, obviously. Mm-hmm. And Cat looks to the euphony that has just busted her their way in and looks to the euphony in this hole with her and yells at our new euphony on the scene, Hey! Save yourself! <laughs> As the hole starts getting larger, you start seeing less and less of the floor level of Somnio. And at that point... The euphony is distant enough that you can't see the top of their head anymore. And then you, you see them glance at you just before you stop, just before you lose visibility and run towards the hole. And like hovers over the hole and says, what did you say? Get down here and save yourself. Cat shouts, pointing at the other euphony. Because I'm not going to do it for you. So you see Euphony look at you in the hole, look at the rest of the hole, gaze up from the hole and look at the rest of Somnia, then gaze back down at you and bring their, bring their hand down for you, at which point you notice two things. One, perspective in this dream is so very warped that this hole looks to you as if it has gotten 12 or 13 feet long, but Euphony's arm is reaching you with no distortion and that's when you realize that the hole technically ha- actually has not been moving at all. And two, you get the very strong impression that Euphony does not see anyone else in the hole with you. Hate dreams. Hate dreams so much. I'm going to go get a prescription for Valium when this is all over. Euphony but? hoists you up out of the hole mm-hmm. and goes, where'd your pal go? Hopefully. Away. Somewhere safe. But I have no way of knowing that, and I find it, mm, let's say, improbable. Just the, uh, Euphony just wildly gestures at the dream and goes, The only place I can think of that's less safe than this is a fireworks factory? So maybe we should get a move on. Sounds great. And you see Euphony just kind of glances in several cardinal directions in this room and decides to just pick a wall that they didn't already walk through and starts charging towards that wall. Meanwhile, (laughs) Ruth. Yeah? You find yourself in a hospital. That's pretty normal. You are standing next to uh, the receptionist's desk in what seems to be a very busy version of the hospital where you used to work. Dozens of people are walking or running past you in multiple directions, and when you try to settle on their faces or the names on their name tags or any distinguishing features about the clothes that patients or guests are wearing, you realize you can't really settle on any of those things. Am I a nurse in this setting, or am I a patient, or am I someone who is in the waiting room, waiting for someone to come out? Like, what's the context of the dream I've been landed in? 
you look down and you notice that you are in nurse's scrubs. But that's when you also notice that your knuckles are severely bruised. Which is weird for you, because you've never, like, you tend to be better about not letting people at work know that you've been in a fight the night before when you were still working here. So this immediately strikes you as odd. I put on some nitrile gloves. As you do that, you hear a message on the intercom system that says, Vermilion Ruth, uh, can you please come to the OR? Paging Vermilion Ruth to the OR. You've probably been a nurse in the OR maybe three times in your entire career. This yeah, is... that's not at all where I'm supposed yeah. to go. And the only mm-hmm. time that I was called there was because we were so severely understaffed that literally any living body that could hold a thing, please go in there. So Ruth kind of mentally braces himself, i.e. gets Ruthless ready, who is just kind of hovering in the background, ready to break in at any moment, and goes to the OR, trusting the dream to take him where he needs to go. Mm-hmm. You follow the typical real-world path to the OR, and when you get to the OR, you find where the operating table is supposed to be. There is a large pile of dirt and an open hole. Is there anybody else in this OR? Nope. Okay. I don't go up to the hole because I'm just waiting for something to push me in there. (laughs) And instead, I call, is anybody down there? Ruth, is that you? Do I recognize the hair? You hear Euphony's voice. I assume you're not the fucked up one. The one who ate Aren't all the cookies. Aren't we all a bit fucked up? What? I'm a lot more fucked up than you. Can you just get me out of here? How close are you to the hole, by the way? Can you see Euphony at this point? I'm still at the door. So I step in and I guess roll for analyze to make sure that there's nothing nefarious in the room before I get down and try and pull Euphony out of the hole. Okay, give me an analyze roll. Your position is controlled. Mm -hmm. Your effect is limited. I only have one dot there, so this is going to be easy. That's a one. Big yikes. I think I'm totally safe. (laughs) Yeah, you walk away from the door. The minute you walk away from the door, the operating room starts getting bigger. You are briefly startled by the fact that you are seeing the walls start moving further away from you. You trip on what you know is nothing in this room. There is nothing on this room for you to trip on. And then you fall into the hole. Great. The very last thing that you see before falling back first into this hole is someone bust through the eastern wall of the operating room. (laughs) And you see in the shadow... Of this dimly lit uh, operating room, just moments before you fall, the other euphony, the euphony that came into the dream with you, (laughs) and what looks like a very flustered cat being dragged by the arm behind them. As Ruth falls into the hole, the last thing Cat sees is Ruth throwing up the finger and shouting, this is your fault, at the other euphony. And then he disappears into the hole. 
What did I do? I just got here. And, uh, they run up towards the, the hole and try to grab you. Uh, please give me a one die fortune roll. Aha. Uh -huh. Euphony grabs you just by the forearm before you follow you into the hole. Ruth smashes against the side of the hole and grumbles, I'd rather be saved by Vic. If you want, I can leave you here and let them know. Is that what you'd prefer? Ruth looks up at grits Kat his says, teeth. Oh my god. Ruth grits Pushes his teeth at the like Euphony out of the way. <laughs> reaches down. Okay. Both Euphony and Kat are now lifting you out of this hole. What uh, is it with this dream and holes now, exactly? Excuse me? Who is the one who trained us? What does that have to do with the question I just asked? You're down there. Your shitty other what? half is down there going, I'm stuck in a hole. Euphony looks to you, Cat, with this, like, absolutely confused look on their face. And then He's looks right. back over into the hole. And then comes back to face you all and goes, what are you all... You know what? It's the dream. Obviously, this, supposed, this is supposed to have some meaning to you all. That is not immediately reaching out to me. Ruth, I'd like you to give me another analyze role. Okay. Your position is still controlled. Mm -hmm. Your effect is still limited, but you have plus one die now. Okay, so that makes for a total of 2d6. That's a one and a three. Not too good. Ah, you hear something like wind blowing from somewhere, but you can't fathom where. Euphony looks back to you, Cat, and goes, Anyway, you don't need to thank me for saving your lives or whatever. Let's just get your friends and get back on whatever train we're supposed to be on at this moment. Cat says to Ruth, We don't need to thank them for saving our lives, our lives which would not have been in danger if they had not pulled us into this entire mess to begin with. Isn't that generous? Isn't that so sweet and big-hearted? I'm not I fucking thanking someone who won't save themselves. This wasn't my fault. This was the other one's fault. Then stop blaming me, as they are now juggernauting their way towards another wall. Ruth looks over at Kat and says, This is the person Vic wanted to be. I'm so glad that Vic hasn't grown up to be like this. I like Vic so much better. Oh my god. Vic hasn't become them yet. And they're not going to, if I have anything to say about it. And then grabs Cat by the forearm and stomps after Euphony and the giant gaping hole they've made in the wall. Mm -hmm. The Bugs Bunny hole in yeah. the wall. We cut then to Vic, who starts sneezing. Vic, you are in Aylston High. You are in your homeroom class. Okay. Are there students? It is... There are people sitting in chairs in your classroom. You get the very vague idea that these are, in fact, your students, but they're all adults. They're all, they all seem like the 25, 26-year-old versions of the students in your present class. And they're all, they all seem very weird to you in that... 
out of the corner of your eye, you can notice that every one of them is very clearly a, like, as visually as you can imply in a dream, a, f- a fully developed version of themselves. You can look at each one of them just out of, the, just out of your peripheral vision, and you get the sense of who has been accomplished businessmen or who lean fully into the arts or fashion from the way that they're dressed and the way that they uh, present themselves. But whenever you turn to focus on any individual person in this room, you see them instead in what looks like a dark gray jumpsuit. And they all look like listless and somewhat like drained of personality in this moment. And they're all looking you intensely in the eye as if they're waiting for something from you. Okay. I'm going to do something very silly. Yes, please. So there is one time in the last day of the week after exams, due to a scheduling year calendar weirdness, there was a day where there just wasn't anything to do. And so Vic rented a karaoke machine and brought it in to the classroom and wheeled it out from from somewhere that they had hidden it to be able to do a dramatic reveal. And because they are teenagers, most of them are too self-conscious to want to sing anything. And therefore, Vic had to go first. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of kneel and reach behind my desk and I'm going to pull out the karaoke machine and I'm going to beep, 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 beep. And I'm going to start, uh, Vic starts singing Bruce Springsteen born in the USA. And what I want to do is I want to use express to kind of connect that moment from their own memories and the time when Vic let the veneer slip and sang the crap out of that song in the way that it was written, not the celebratory fashion, but the like, this is the reality of being born in the USA and the way that society has constrained us. I love it so very much. Your position is controlled. Your effect is extreme. Good Lord, I love this. I dig this so very much. All right, and I have three in Express, but I can only roll two without being transcended. So I'm going to roll 2d6. I got a six, six and four. You know, and so they are they are stomping on the ground where the drum, like, boom. I love this so very much. So you are singing, and you see all of your students, like, really getting into it. And in this moment... You, this, this very strange sight that you have of them transitions now as if you're looking like, you're looking at one of those like uh, lenticular cards mm-hmm. from their gray jumpsuits, the jumpsuit self to their accomplished adult selves back to their student selves. And you are looking like right at them now on like, focusing on them as adults, as, as children, I mean. 
Okay. And they are fully into it. They, this is the most fun you've ever seen them have in school ever in their entire lives. And so Vic gets through a verse and uh, and then pointing the mic at them says, all right, everybody together now. And uh, like points the mic toward the students to pull them into the performance. Mm-hmm. And you do that. And the moment that you extend the mic towards them, that portion of the classroom suddenly transforms from a classroom to a lit auditorium stage. As all of them, still children, but now in uh, their adult garb from just earlier, are singing their heart out for an audience full of what looks to you as you look back at them as you in various ages, like randomly uh, sprinkled all across this auditorium. And in the very center of the auditorium, you see another karaoke machine that is presently plugged in somewhere, but not playing anything. And as you focus on it, you realize that everything else is still happening everywhere else, but now you cannot... Now the sound of everything that is happening in this auditorium is far softer and no one is noticing that you are not looking at them anymore. And so with the the song fully being carried by the students, the camera kind of hones in and realizes that the Vic on the other side of the other karaoke machine is quote unquote present Vic. And I reach over and press uh, skip forward on the karaoke machine, and I'm in the lit the the room with the light in the mirror door. Mm-hmm. You notice that this car- this karaoke machine only has one song, as it is still present in front of you in this room. Being a karaoke machine, it's just an instrumental and text. The song, by the way, is uh, "Same Old Blues" by Fantagram. And the video that is behind the text is video of Euphony digging a hole. Digging and that's when hole. you notice that one of the that that's when you notice that the words of the chorus of the song are I keep on having this dream where I'm stuck in a hole and I can't get out. Okay, can I can I edit my where I end up instead then? Oh uh, you can, yes, please. The R Express was that good. <laughs> so Instead of skip forward, I press play, and as the button depresses, Vic is at the top of the hole and is extending a a rope down to Euphony, except it's the mic and the mic cord. And they say, come on, we've got work to do. Euphony looks up to you as they grab the mic cord, and this is the most timid and least self-assured that you've ever seen Euphony in your life. They seem almost like upsettingly sorrowful about something. You can't tell what, but they do take it and you do successfully pull them out of the hole. And just as they emerge from the hole, you hear a large crunching sound to your right, And when you look towards it, you are now 
in a hallway on the fourth or fifth floor of the Mirador with both Euphonies, Cat, and uh, Ruth. Vic nods to to Cat and Ruth. Has anyone seen Nina? Ruth shakes his head. No, it's sort of starting to worry me. Yeah. Do we see the dream shine intern buddies with us? Give me a one die for two. I shall oblige. That's a four. Right. So, <laughs> you see your dream shine staff, uh, Ruth, emerge from a door on this hallway of the Mirador that you know is supposed to be like a broom closet or a storage closet, storage closet or something like that. And they've emerged with a claymore in their hand, swinging wildly at the other end of the door as they just slam it shut with their foot. And you can tell like they've been in an absolute scuffle previously, that the sleeve of, the, of their uh, blazers torn off, they're bruised on the right side of their face, they're sweating, they're covered in someone else's blood. Been there. And, uh, and he turns to you, and he goes, why didn't anybody tell me that dreams were so goddamn intense? <laughs> you get the impression that he's not merely saying that he didn't expect being on this mission to be so dire, but it comes with the additional tone as if to imply he's never actually naturally dreamed a night in his life. Uh, Kat says to Ruth, we should tell Rustum to give that one a raise. Ruth has this really, really great talent for making all the knuckles of his hand crack alarmingly just by closing it into a fist. And as he goes, mmm, and nods, he just does that unconsciously. <laughs> but he goes over to his panicking Dreamshine intern buddy and basically, you know, talks the man down a bit. Because even though it's a dream gun, it's still a gun. Uh, while this is happening, yes. I would like to invoke Rewind Return. All right. Might I ask why? Because I want to find Nina. Oh, I, would, I, I, I will spare you the thing. Oh. And say, like, oh, the reason why all of this was happening at this moment in time, because remember, Nina rolled particularly well on Defy. Nina, you have a totally uneventful trip up the elevator. You see outside <laughs> the, the glass Shot walls of, of the, elevator. the elevator. You watch all of... Yeah, you watch Euphony covered in dirt. Another Euphony who is, like, strangely translucent, but you don't know why. A Dreamshine staff who seems to be going through it. And three of your friends are on the fifth floor, looking very anxiously at each other. Do do I still Um, have Aisha? Aisha is with you. Very briefly, while you were in the elevator, like, just as you had crested the third floor, the other Dreamshine staffer teleported into the elevator and is in the corner of the elevator box, uh, hyperventilating at the moment. I'm just imagining the first Mass Effect games elevator music playing while Nita's like... Yeah, Yeah, I feel like if this is a TV show, we just get like 
30 seconds of uninterrupted footage of the elevator going up. Does the Dream Shine employee want a cookie? Or, nah. You offer a cookie to her and she says, Are you real? Um... Yeah. She nods, but she doesn't take the cookie from you and does not move. All of you notice Nina. All of you notice Nina going up the elevator. Well, if you have, if you don't have the option to take the second elevator or go up the stairs, none of you know where Rustam is. Ruth looks at Vic. Stairs. Yeah. If it is possible, Ruth like peeks out the stairwell to check on the elevator as they're going up. Because out of all of us who deserve to have a good time, it's Nina, and Nina had better have the best elevator ride of her life going up to that floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just, it continues to seem like it's going swimmingly. The, you are noticing very weirdly, as if by dream logic, that the elevator is always within your view whenever you look out through past the stairwell, as if even though you know, even though you absolutely positively know that it should be moving quite quickly, and that you're going up these stairs quite slowly, it never leaves your eyesight as if the dream is consistently allowing you to make sure that you can see Nina, even if that means, even though Nina can't notice it, that the elevator is always skipping floors and coming back several floors down specifically so you can see it. Vic, I would like you to give me a two-die fortune roll. Okay. That is four and a six. Ah, nice. You notice, and as you notice, everybody else begins to slowly notice. There is a sound that is growing in intensity that sounds like wind blowing through a tunnel. And when you notice the sound and try to focus on where it could be potentially coming from, you notice that it's coming from both euphonies. In at least one timeline, but not this one, Ruth had looked over to Kat and said, should we try to put them back together with a hammer? He doesn't say that now, but he kind of looks over to Kat as if to say, is this when we do some weird shit? Yes? No? (laughs) Hammer? (laughs) Kat is frowning as she looks up at the elevator. And as she heads for the stairs... She eh, grumbles. I got to ride that last time. Why do I have to do cardio now? So you all just continue going up the elevator? Uh, going up the stairs? Yeah, I think as long as the euphonies are able to keep up and the wind is not becoming a problem, then yeah. They do seem to be keeping up, but you also notice as you are trying to pay attention on whether they are, that it seems as if the euphony that came with you is trying to grab the other euphony by the hand and their hand is passing all the way through. And you see, you can tell that they seem pretty perturbed about it. That is not my problem. Ruth is desperately trying to remember all, like, the reverse exorcism things from the old Hong Kong movies that he watched as a kid. Like, because I know I watched a whole bunch of weird supernatural stuff. One of these things has got to put them back together, but nothing is coming up in it. Mm -hmm. As this is happening, I'm going to ask if you will all indulge me in this moment so I can give this 
brief moment of external character development, or rather internal character development. Yes. Yes. In another version of this staircase, Euphony can see all of your avatars. In fact, in another version of this staircase, Euphony sees going up this staircase as if they're walking only with your avatars and not with you. And as you are all running up the stairs, Euphony turns to Deed and shouts, God damn it, I don't get it. Why does this not work? How do you get... Why... Why does this feel so broken? Why do I care? How does this work for you all? How are you all so comfortable with being in this situation where you depend on all of these other creatures to live? Bither steps on her foot. (laughs) Barefoot, sorry. What was that for? There's no need to raise your voice about this. Individual valor means nothing when building a collective. Freedom can only be enjoyed by the populace. Keep up. Even when they don't want it, even when it's obvious that they judge you? People are given scapegoats. Hate comes from fear. Hate is taught. It is not innate. When we are caged in, we turn on one another. Tear down the cage, and there can be understanding. Euphony sighs, uh, glances back at the other Euphony again, and just continues running. Back to you all. You all eventually get to the... Third to last floor of the Mirador, at which point this staircase ends, and the only way to go to the two penthouse floors above is to come off of the staircase or the main elevator, and then take a separate elevator to those rooms, at which point you all come out precisely when Nina exits the elevator. Hey, why are there so many euphonies here? Ruth says... Uh, because Euphony hates themselves. That's not true. Because Euphony is so terrified of depending on any other person that we just now apparently need multiple Euphonies to accomplish anything. I suppose that, you know, dream clones can help you without it counting as asking others or relying on someone else. Well, you can't do clones. Every clone is like a copy of a copy, and they just get worse. I think that's just the movies, squints at you all. Euphony squints at you all and goes, please, let's just get this over with. And walks towards the other elevator. Ruth gives Kat a look, and it's the look of a scarred, beleaguered, bitter and yet extremely proud mama hen that has watched her chick learn how to fly. Kat leans over to whisper to youth, so like, if you are so hellbent on self-reliance that you need to make more selves to fill in the gaps, is that under the, like, 
is that libertarianism still or is it now a new bad thing? I think that's euphony's shit being topsy-turvy. Vic, Vic, you know politics things. What do you think? Is this libertarianism gone very wrong or? I mean, I try not to think about libertarianism if I can avoid it. <laughs> Seems like some kind of solipsism. If there are multiple euphonies, it should be harmony. And it seems like you're still dissonance. Can you all please stop talking about me like I'm some kind of experiment or something? And they walk up with the elevator and press the up button. You notice as well that the buttons on this elevator are just small flame emoji and large flame emoji. Are those the buttons oriented in any way that implies up or down? Oh no, yes. Like, they're still very clearly translate an up, an up and a down, and uh, they press the up button. Um, and then the elevator door opens, and instead of an elevator, you find yourself backstage on what looks like a university auditorium, where Rustam Demir is facing a large crowd of people who seems to be clapping very uh, eagerly for whatever it is he just said or was about to say. And he turns back when you all emerge from behind him. And what looks like a very courteous stage smile shifts into very obvious fright. And he turns to you, Nina, and goes, Somebody get me out of here, please. Okay. Nina tries to reach out for him. It's like, okay, come on. <laughs> just just leave. Give me a roll for that. What would you like to roll for this? Uh she's she's like what is what is stopping him? Like is he in is he in the hole? You don't see a hole. You just see yeah, the dream. So but Nina I will is very say confused, because like <laughs> So, like, I will say a thing that you would know as a dream knight is that there are times when you will encounter someone else's waking or dreaming self in a dream where even when you are not obviously sure what could be potentially compelling them in a moment, they may be expressing a kind of fright or control Mm. based solely on the fact that the dream that they're in has them more in an emotional state of ransom than a physical one. And you have no idea what it might be in this moment. Okay, so if he is in a stage fright position, then Nina is trying to think back to like times when she has seen other people having to deal with that and what other people have done. Nina's gone to like concerts and shows and things where the acts weren't necessarily like doing well you know, stand-up comedians and stuff where people are getting heckled. And what the host would do that she remembers is be like, all right, let's give them a hand and then kind of like start clapping to get the audience to clap and also signal that the the person's time is at an end and they are now free to leave. And so Nina's going to try to do that. I'm not sure what that role is, is that would that be defy or express? Defy works. I was gonna say it sounds like empathize. If it's empath, I empathize is fine too because like she's she's working with 
her understanding of like, yeah, it's really uncomfortable to be in that position. And the way to get them out of there is to like perk them up. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I will also say that empathize is much better. Because if you roll mm-hmm. empathize, I'll say that your position is controlled okay. and your effect is extreme. We'll do that. Okay, so empathize, controlled, extreme. All right. And I've got 2d6 for that. Let's see. That's a three and a five. Ah, five is good. So a series of dream things happen almost instantaneously for you, and you notice all of them happen in tandem. You do exactly as you described. You go up on stage. You weren't in, like, like the, the clothes that you entered the dream in suddenly shift to a pressed tuxedo. Uh, as you come up on stage and uh, you suddenly compel everybody to clap. And as you're guiding Rustam to come off stage, you both turn to face the staircase to come to come off the stage. And when you turn, you're not on a stage anymore. You are now both standing outside a limo at one of Cloud Harbor's, um, like, performance theaters at a red carpet event. And dozens of people are, like, climbing over the velvet rope to get uh, his, to get Drustom's autograph or, like, like, kneeling on the red carpet in front of him. And he looks absolutely repulsed at all of it. And he turns back to you and says... You need to get me out of here. And your instinct in that moment, as you look back down and you notice that you're dressed like a bodyguard and you're suddenly far stronger than you've ever seen yourself in your entire life, you gesture for him to get back into the vehicle. And when you both get back into the limo and close the door, you are all now standing in the proper backstage area of a of an auditorium that you've never seen before because there are no auditorium spaces in the Mirador. Are we alone or are we back together with everyone? All of you are now back together. The rest of you did not notice any of the tran- any of these transitions happen until you suddenly found yourself in this room. Wow, I can't believe that worked. Rustam turns to you and goes, where is Aisha? Is Aisha with you? And then looks down and sees that uh, Aisha is just like standing right to the left of you and she just kind of runs up to him and gives him a hug. Good God I I don't know how you all do it. Thank you so very much for taking care of her while I was missing and his voice kind of trails off and he looks out into the middle distance as if he's been seriously perturbed by a thing Stay with us We're up the Mirador but we need to get to that room still. Right. Um, I think I'm getting a hang of the fact that doors don't work in this space. So I guess if we don't have a plan, that's a better plan than just going the way you think you're supposed to go in this space. How do you find things here? You can either stumble through according to dream logic, 
or you can try to manifest. Or you can follow the tragic genius points at Vic. This will be easier if you can focus because you know this place and you know Aisha and you're going to be the one that can understand intellectually and emotionally what we need to do to bridge that gap for her. Okay. So I know where we need to go. It's the penthouse, I guess. It stands to reason based on things that I've gleaned from you, actually. And he turns to Euphony and notices that there are two Euphonies and is briefly confused and then just gets back to, just continues talking. That sometimes in the dream, folks have anchors that are like representations of their unconscious. And I reckon then the easiest way to get Aisha back is to get back to the library that we used to have back home. But we're not in our house. But I do have a version of that library, a smaller study that I kept for Aisha here at the Mirador before she got sick. So hopefully we'll find what we're looking for there. Unfortunately, that's the thing that I was trying to avoid. But that's why I'm fortunate that we're all together, because it means you can help me deal with the other thing. And that's when you notice that he has kind of focused so deeply in that moment by asking himself that question, that when he turns around, you can actually see the wall behind him shimmer and stop being the wall of an unknown auditorium and turn back into the second elevator that you are all walking toward. And he opens the elevator. Like, you see up and down buttons now with up and down arrows now. And you walk into the elevator. And the elevator goes up very slowly. And he says, I don't know how to fight here. And I'm pretty sure that what happens next is going to very deeply involve me. So any help that you can give me afterwards would be greatly appreciated. As you see this glass elevator come to a stop at the penthouse. And when the doors open, you see what would otherwise look like a very lavish penthouse apartment at the top of the mirror door. What should be like very expensive leather couches, very fancy electronic equipment, like a very, a very large, very fancy flat screen TV two gaming PCs to one side with lots of unnecessary peripherals attached to them, a very fancy glass dining area, very fancy uh, granite countertop kitchen. But all of it is covered in moss and fungus. And time to show him the solar plexus thing that he taught me and Nina that time. <laughs> as you all walk into this space, Rustam grabs the claymore sword from that one staffer. You see him twirl it a little in his hand as if he has very vague sword fighting practice, as if he's trained for stage and never been in in an actual sword fight before. And he calls back behind behind himself to you all. If there are any tips that you can tell me before I die tonight, 
please let me know. Vic will will tap the hilt of the sword and then tap Demir's chest and says, you don't fight with that. You fight with this. Ruth looks so exhausted. <laughs> you say that. Vic and Demina, I would like you to give me an empathize role. How many dots do each of you have in empathize? You have two. You have one. Your position is... Your position is controlled. Your effect is great. Mina, very briefly, this is me pulling some GM bullshit for you all. You are allowed to roll three dice. I'm giving you one bonus die and you're allowed to roll it as if you are transcendent. Okay, Vic does not notice a thing. I got a two. Four, three, six. Nice. Do you remember that first time you saw Euphony draw Transcendence out of Vic? Yes. You see, very, like, briefly, like, almost out of the corner of your eye, and then when you focus on it, you actually see it very, very clearly. You focus on Vic in that moment, reassuring Rustam. And then look, you're drawn in that moment to look down at Aisha, who seems obviously very worried. The room is giving everyone the heebie-jeebies. Her older brother has a sword in his hand. Everyone is very nervous about something really bad happening. And she's the only minor in this room. And maybe something's going to happen to her brother. And she doesn't want anything to happen to her brother. She loves her brother very much. And in this moment, you see what looks like a beam of light emerge from a window somewhere in this room that is covered in, like, black fungus and muck and slime. Light still somehow pierces through all of that. And you see it strike Rustam in the chest and you follow that light as it for some reason allows you this very brief glimpse all the way into what seems like this dream reenactment of the soul of Rustam Demir as you see that light hit this green crusty weird-looking gemstone of a heart inside him. And as you focus on it, you notice it's covered with crap. There are, like, piles, there are, like, torn pieces of hundred-dollar bills and greasy fingerprint stains and, like, wires and sharp stones poking out of whatever is supposed to be his heart here. And you see that light hit it and start cutting away at all of that shit. And underneath it, you see a pure ruby heart-shaped gem twirling very slowly 
and you notice as the light starts bouncing off of all of its facets, as if to illuminate it from within, even though you can see all the way through it, and inside it, you notice that it is revealing something that was presumably too translucent to be seen except when surrounded by light, and in it, you see a small doll that you recognize the look of. And when you look away from it, you realize as you look down at Aisha that Aisha is in Rustam Demir's heart. And as you see that, you hear Rustam stead you you glance back up as Rustam steadies his grip on the sword and says here goes nothing, and then, out of nowhere, a gust of wind knocks him back towards the door behind you. And as you look forward, ahead of you all, you see, floating above the floor, in a maroon pantsuit, a young feminine figure that you've met before. And that's when you realize, with like, mildew and moss dripping out of their fingernails. The chief innovation officer of Dreamshine Technologies, Zenaida Metaxas, is standing in front of you all and looks at Rustam and goes, you didn't think it was going to be easy, did you? And that's where we're going to take another break. Dun, dun, dun. It's so tense in here. All right. Mm-hmm. This is where things happen, folks. The theme music for Speculate is Yellow Wood by Greg's band, The Road. Find out more at www.thebandtheroad.com. Hi, everyone. If you've enjoyed what we've been doing here on Speculate and you've been thinking to yourself, where can I get more role-playing in my life? Can I recommend arvanelleron.com, A-R-V-A-N-E-L-E-R-O-N.com, where you can check out the Curse of Strahd podcast. This, set in the world of Ravenloft, is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign, which has been running for a long time with a similar group of players, and which has been both a lot of fun and I think you will find enjoyable. If you like it, please let us know both there and over here. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, and many other fine podcast providers. Thanks, and we'll see you over there.